Hello and welcome to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast brought to you by the North Jersey Vipers Softball Club. Now in their 14th season, the North Jersey Vipers is one of the premier softball clubs in all of New Jersey. And if you're looking for some winter instruction, Bob Germano is having open hitting every Monday in Waldwick. And they're also having organizational workouts every Saturday in the Waldwick Superdome with over 100 players there every Saturday. If you want to contact them, just head to their website at NorthJerseyVipers.com. All right, what a week it was for NJIT. The Highlanders have had some growing pains for certain in the rugged America East Conference under first-year head coach Grant Billmeyer. But boy, oh boy, last week they shook the conference and shocked the college basketball world by upsetting the conference's two best teams, Vermont and UMass Lowell, Vermont had won 23 straight games in the America East. It was the longest conference winning streak in the nation. NJIT beat them. And then 48 hours later, they knocked off the second place team, UMass Lowell, 71-64, just to show you it was not a fluke. So after going winless in conference play the first six games, NJIT has now won three of its last four in conference play. Here to talk about the team's performance is head coach Grant Billmeyer. Grant, great to talk to you again. How are you doing? Fair to see you again, Brian. Um, doing a lot better than I was doing this time last week when uh, you know I, lo- I lost my starting setter to a torn ACL. I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to get another win in the conference. Uh, Grant, how about those... 24 to 48 hours. We're talking about Kel DeGraff, your graduate senior, starting center, uh, averaged 10 points and, I don't know, like five rebounds a game. Losing him and then having to go up against Vermont and UMass Lowell. Talk about your emotions of that that you just mentioned. Losing Kel was was crushing to everyone in the program. Um, You know, I know I was really down. You know, my, my, my family saw me down. My staff saw me a little down in the office, and I'm not a person that gets down very often, but I knew the way Kel was playing. You know, he, he had came off the best game of his life. Um, he had 17, he had 18 points and seven rebounds in the second half alone in our 22 point comeback win against UMBC. And then against Binghamton, he was kind of picking up where he left off at. He was playing physical. He was six for six from the free throw line. We were getting the ball inside to him. He was kicking it out from threes. And I said, man, this is. It's finally all coming together. And then a kid for them who actually had been out, came, just came back from injury, drove baseline, tried to dunk on him, and Kel had an unbelievable block against the backboard. And unfortunately, he just took a really bad landing on his knee. Um, so we were devastated. We were down. Um, but, you know, we obviously moved on and, and we kept moving forward. How is he doing, by the way? Because obviously you care about the kid and, um, you know, it's a long recovery. He's doing good, man. You know, I I told him I, I I'm crushed um, because he doesn't get a chance to experience you know any more college basketball. But I said you know three four years from now I expect you to be in the Euro League. I expect you to have a great career overseas. Um, in your college chapter ended a little bit shortly, but once you recover from your knee injury, I expect you to have a long professional career. Good for him, you know, uh, and I'm sure you'll be there with him uh, every step of the way, Grant. We'll we'll keep him in our prayers definitely. Uh, so you go through the emotions, the lows of that to, okay, guys, now we have to play the best team in the conference, right? The, 
the team that has set the standard bearer in this conference, uh, how were you able to knock off Vermont and and beat them in your place? Something that hasn't been done in, in over two years. I, th- I think what helped us a lot was, you know, the first time we played them, we had we had just come off an emotional game at UMass Lowell. We, you know, we traveled there on Thursday night. We got in about, you know, one o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, our, our energy wasn't great, you know, the Friday before just because we were a little tired. Um, and then we played, you you know, and then we played Vermont. Um, Makai Gray hurt his knee early in the game. Tariq Francis didn't play that game. And then fast forward this time, you know, we're at home. And we were coming off our bye week. I gave our guys um, three days off from practice. So we had three days off, and then we had three days to get ready for that game. So I think our guys were mentally fresher a lot more. Um, and then we tweaked some things. We tweaked some things offensively. Uh, we made some adjustments defense defensively. So um, we, we switched around our game plan a little bit from the first time we played them, you know, because just because I never got a chance to play against them. Um, I knew how good of a coach Coach Becker was on film, but then obviously going against them in person, seeing how he defends your stuff, seeing how they want to attack you offensively. I kind of had a, an idea for how for how they were going to game plan against us. Three days off during a bye week in the middle of the season. Is that unusual or something that you learn from someone? Why that decision? I, I just thought, you know, I, I just thought we were a little worn down. Um, I just thought, it, you know, I should say this, Brian. So in, in three of those days, two of those days, we lifted. You know, I okay. thought I didn't really like where our bodies were at. I thought we needed to get a little bit more physical. I thought we needed to get in the weight room. So coming off our game that Thursday, you know, at Binghamton, that Friday we lifted. Um, Saturday was player development. So no practice, just all skill work and lifting. And then Sunday was completely off. Um, so I wanted to keep these guys still in you know mentally fresh and everything like that um but i didn't want to put any wear and tear in their body uh, you know as you know I, as much as many young guys i have i also have a lot of older guys and i thought just you know not beating each other up not doing sprints up and down the court not doing anything like that would be really good for you know for for us going into this week going into that week uh and and it worked coach all right so the one day off there on sunday they get refocused re-energized uh preparing for life without your center Kel DeGraff and Tariq Francis, uh, your outstanding freshman who not only is the best freshman in the America East, one of the best freshmen in the country, uh, goes off. You said he didn't play against Vermont the first time, scores a career high 31 points, uh, put his game in perspective and what it was like watching him and your team out there in general compete against Vermont and beat him. You know, it was, uh, it was awesome to see, you know, Tariq's, um, you know, he's constantly in the gym. And, you know, it's funny. I, I ran into my athletic director following the Vermont game. And I said, you know, we were in the refueling station right next to my office where the kids go, you know, they mm-hmm. get food and everything like that. And I and I said to Lenny, you know, he's figuring it out because this was an hour before practice. He was in the gym by himself and he was just shooting. You know, he, he had given me his life. You know, he left the gym at, you know, 1030 at night. And this is, you know, 1230. The next day we don't have practice till 130. And he's just in the gym getting shots up on his own. So he's got a really good work ethic. You know, he comes from a great family. Um, They're very supportive of him and they allow us to coach him hard, um, which I think really helps the kid. Coach, you also did some some excellent things. And I want to get to Tariq in a second. But in this game, I mean, you took care of the basketball, four turnovers. You hit your free throws. 
basically it was one of those things where you, you kind of did everything to, to that you had to do to win the game. Yeah, we did. And, you know, the ironic thing about Brian, like we didn't outside of Tariq, you know, I think we only had one made three the rest of the game. So it wasn't like we had this, you know, incredible game, miracle on ice. You know, we had to play the perfect game. Right. By no means we didn't, but we had played extremely hard. Um, and I don't think we had very many breakdowns on the defensive end. Um, and I thought if we could keep it close, you know, you know, it could give us a position to win the game. And I think with about a minute, something to go is a tie game minute and a half, minute 45, something like that. And Tariq banked in a three from the left wing. I said, hey, maybe maybe today's our day. Um, you know, I wasn't completely sure we could win the game, but when he made that shot, I said, all right, let's 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 try and close this game out for them. Hey, I saw the Marquette Butler game last night and tight game late. And Cam Jones, uh, one of the best players in the Big East, banked in a three. So they yeah, all count I, the I same. See that. That's awesome. Yeah, they all count the same. And and Francis is having such a such a special year, coach. He he followed that up with another master performance. Uh, you come back two days later, one day to prepare for the second best team in the league, UMass Lowell. Francis goes for 26 points, seven rebounds, and and you knock off the second place team. Uh, you said after that win over Vermont, I'm gonna quote you. You said, We're not done. This wasn't a fluke. We practice hard all the time with the plan to be at our best in February and March. Boy, if those weren't prophetic words, I don't know what our coach. Yeah, you know what, Brian? I I knew this year, we, you know, we would have some growing pains, some struggles throughout the season, um, just based on my older guys. And I, I knew we would probably deal with some injuries because, you know, two of my best players have just been injured in the past and, I knew there'd be times we'd be without them, and I knew it'd take my my freshmen some time to get adjusted, especially in conference play. But you know, ever since you know our beginning of the year meeting, I said, "Fellas, let, 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 let's just stay together. We we need to play our best basketball in February and March. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be pretty, but we got to come to work every day with the same amount of energy that we're going to come into the gym today. First day, uh, it was the first day of school and first day of workouts." And we 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 got to just continue to get better every every single day. Um, and you know, I, I kind of spoke those words into existence back then. And you know, I got to keep pushing all the right buttons now. Hey, uh, this it's it's an unusual team with the team makeup. You and I talked about this preseason when I sat in your office. Nine freshmen, six graduate seniors, or 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 seniors. And another guy who's who's a who's an important graduate senior on your team. They all are, right? Uh, Elijah Buchanan, good for him. Plays four years at Manhattan, and and now has his graduate year with you. Goes over a thousand points in his career. Uh, scored twenty one points in that win. So you kind of had uh, you know another complimentary player there for 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 uh, Francis twenty six twenty one. Um, you know because you can't do it alone, coach. So what is what 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 have your graduate seniors? Uh, starting with Buchanan meant for this team and these freshmen. Buchanan has been great because, you know, he played for, you know, an excellent coach and coach Masiello, And then my top assistant was Sean stores. He played for him last year, um, two great basketball coaches. So, and, you know, the coach Masiello and you know, my former boss, coach Willard, who we play similar to, you know, they both work for Rick Patino. So we, we have very similar, you know, theories, a lot of pressing, and we've been implementing a lot of matchup zone and Elijah knows it just as well as anyone on the team, if not better, um, just because he's been in that matchup zone before. So uh, it's it's been great to have an older guy with so many young guys 
um, kind of just have that presence on the court and, and in the locker room. So now I, I getting back to Francis, uh, coach, he, he's, he's having an incredible year. He leads your team in scoring, which is unusual for a freshman. Uh, then he gets all these awards, uh, not only America East uh, rookie of the week for the seventh time, uh, America East player of the week. He's named the Metropolitan Basketball Writers Association Division One player of the week. Are you talking to him? You know, hopefully he's staying grounded and 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 keeping him focused, you know, uh, and and what has he uh, how impressive has his development been in front of your eyes? Yeah, it's it, it's been great. Um, but, you know, Tariq, Tariq comes from an unbelievable family, a, a family that, you know, d d d isn't, isn't, you know, calling everyone and say, my son's the next great thing. You know, his dad's probably calling him and say, hey, you didn't have enough sis or, you know, you had too many defensive breakdowns. So he comes from an unbelievable family um, that would never allow him to get big headed. So I, I think that's very helpful for him. Yeah, and and listen, you 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 recruited the right mix here, and uh, you've done a great job recruiting and development throughout your career under under Kevin Willard. Um, that game against uh, UMass Lowell, coach, you come off an emotional high. You know you're coming back 48 hours later, and I think you put your your foot in their throat early on. Right? It's easy to say, hey, we just won and get complacent, but. Uh, you had a big first half, built a big lead, and and you know stayed the course the rest of the way. How were you able to do that and and have them execute that? I, th I think the biggest thing is like, you know, we 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 didn't want to just become a team that you know we had this great game and then you never heard from us again. So mm -hmm. we wanted to try and validate the win um, by getting another one. And I think we came out. We had the right mentality. Um, and guys started making some shots early in the game, and I think our press and our matchup zone was was really effective in that game. Okay, so now now you have to put those behind you. Get ready for Albany. Six games remaining in the regular season, Coach. Uh, three and seven in conference play. You're trying to play for seeding, I would think, for the America East tournament. How are you approaching this Albany game on Thursday? It's uh, it's obviously a big game. You know, we got the same record. Um, you know they beat us at our place, so just trying, just trying to really take it day by day. Um, we had a great day of practice yesterday. Hopefully, we have another good practice today. You know we don't go very long the day before games, um, but just just trying to you know remain focused on the goal and you know the the goal is to be at our best this time of the year. And in order to do to do that, it starts with having a great practice today. So you know we can stay in a rhythm and um, ho ho hopefully you know how the way we practice well today. And it carries over to the game tomorrow. So you've had some, you know, it's tough to win away from home, coach. Uh, you have had some success this year, winning at Fordham, very difficult place to play. And then just a couple, you know, a week and a half ago, beating uh, UMBC at their place, beating them late. So so what is the mentality going on the road to a place uh, and a team that beat you at your place? Um, I think it's just, you know, watching our last game from them and then and then trying to make some adjustments. Uh, I, th I thought they were tougher than us. I thought they beat us to a lot more 50-50 balls. Um, so that that didn't, that didn't sit well with me. So, I'm, uh, you know, we're, we're really trying to have intense practices and hope those practices 
carry over to the game tomorrow night. Awesome. And and wrapping this interview up, Grant, uh, you know, your first year as a head coach, how have you looked at things? And and there are coaches throughout their careers who, you know, lean on other coaches, uh, maybe their dads, maybe their moms, whoever it is, you know, throughout the season because it, it's a long season of ups and downs. Uh, is there anyone out there that that you've confided in that that you know has helped you get through the highs and lows of this season? Yeah, I, I'm in constant contact with uh, you know my, my former two bosses, Kevin Willard and Greg Horenda. Um, you know, I'm in constant communication, trying to pick their brains. Um, and then and then Coach Holloway, you know, he did an unbelievable job in this state, building up St. Peter's, and, and he's doing a terrific job at Seton Hall. So. Unfortunate where, you know, even if those three have a, you know, a huge game and, you know, Shaw could be playing UConn, Coach Willer could be playing Purdue, you know, no matter what the case is, I know when I call those guys, they'll answer and they'll give me the advice that I, that I need to hear, not what I want to hear. That's great. You always, you always need something like that, I'm sure. And I'm sure they've all helped you in a lot of ways and take a lot of pride in what you're doing. What's, yeah. how's Coach Arenda doing now? He's doing good. He, uh, you know, he's he's at Elon. I think they're struggling a little bit right now. Um, but you know, he he's uh, he's been in this business a while, and you know, he's uh, he, he's helped a lot of people, including myself. You know, he helped me get my. He's the reason why I got my first assistant coaching job in the business, and um, they're very fortunate for him. Great stuff. All right, Grant. Hey, it's a great stretch. I hope you keep it going against Albany. Do appreciate the time, and we're always rooting for you at NJIT. So keep up the good work. Thanks, Brian. Have a great day. You too. All right. That was Grant Billmeyer, head coach of NJIT. He has them trending up, trending up. He said he wants his team to be playing their best in February and March. So far, that is ringing true. Best of luck to Grant the rest of the way. We will certainly be keeping tabs on the Highlanders. Now, let's go around the tri-state, shall we? I want to talk St. John's and Rutgers. Let's begin with St. John's. My, oh my, oh my. Talk about a team that is not playing its best in February. Talk about a team who earlier in the preseason, their head coach, Rick Patino said, wait until February and March. You are going to see a better team than, than now. We are going to get better as the season gets going. I'm paraphrasing. But we've been waiting, and now we're running out of games. As Yogi Berra once said, it gets late early out there, and that's what's happening for St. John's. What has happened to that 4-1 and one start? Remember that? This team was 4-1 and one in Big East play. They were riding high. Joel Soriano, their captain, was saying, we are finally gelling. It was St. John's best start in 23 years in the Big East. Now what has happened? This team has fallen on hard, hard times. They don't know what is going on right now. Joel Soriano was taken out of the starting lineup. This team is reeling. They have lost seven of their last nine games. They have fallen to six and eight in conference play. Two games under 500. With six to play, Rick Pitino said after their loss to Providence, we plan to win our remaining six games. Well, I'll say this. At six and eight, 
they need to go at least five and one the rest of the way to be into consideration. To have them go six and oh is a tall order. Five and one is a tall order. But let's not look at the big picture. They need to get right on Sunday. And that is going to be one heck of a game between two teams that really need wins. Seton Hall and St. John's. Before we get to that, let's talk about another halftime blown lead by the Johnnies. How many times are we going to see it? St. John's dug itself a 13-point deficit. The amp, the dunk was going bananas. Providence jumped out to a 20-7 lead. They hit six of their first nine three-pointers. Ticket Gaines was on fire. Devin Carter was on fire. This team could not defend the three. For a team that defends the three pretty well, nothing was going right. So St. John's calls timeout. They switch from a zone to -to man-to-man, and that seemed to change their fortunes around. St. John's suddenly caught fire after being down 20-7. to R.J. Luis led the surge. Sean Conway led the search with three three-pointers, nine first-half points. Jordan Dingle, how about the three that he hit at the end of regulation in the first half? Shot clock winding down. Calmly steps back. Step back three-pointer, buries it at the buzzer. I think that's the last time that Jordan Dingle hit a shot in this game, to be quite honest with you. St. John's goes from down 13 to up eight at the half. 38-33. And I know what was happening. St. John's fans, you were saying, wow, what a first half. We came up with a lead. We were down 13. But then you were thinking, oh, man, please, please come out in the second half strong. Please don't give up this lead. Please don't blow another game. And what happens? St. John's gives up the lead. St. John's blows another game. They had halftime leads against UConn. They had halftime leads twice against Marquette. Six times against quad one opponents this year. St. John's has held the lead at the half and lost the game. What is happening? Rick Pitino, one of the greatest college basketball coaches of all time. Two national championships. What is happening at halftime that St. John's comes out and they don't know how to play with the lead in the second half? Well, I'll tell you what happened this game. Josh Aduro happened. That guy is a dude. It didn't matter if it was Joel Soriano or Zuby Ejiofor, okay? He ate them up for 26 points in the second half. Soriano ended up fouling out. Ejiofor had his troubles as well. They had nine fouls between the big men, St. John's. Nine. And after they lost the lead, St. John's stormed back. And they actually tied this game. So the game was tied with under two minutes to go. And then they lost sight of where they are. Because 
after they tie it up, Corey Floyd Jr. goes right down and scores on a layup to put Providence up two. And then with under a minute to go, it was Josh Oduro backing down edge of four and hitting a little turnaround eight-footer, six-footer. So Oduro hits the big shot, his last shot of the game, to put him up 74-70. But then, as the seconds were ticking down, and Devin Carter made it a three-point game, 75-72 with 19 seconds to go, St. John's had a timeout. Rick Pitino said afterward, I chose not to use a timeout because I knew that Providence would foul. So he elects to roll the ball out there and roll the dice. And what we saw was pure chaos. All right, Dennis Jenkins, it, there, there was no play being run. It was just go out there and try and shoot a three. Well, he misses a three. Edge of four grabs the rebound, kicks it out to Dingle. I think that shot was tipped and blocked at the end. Oduro probably got a piece of it. And then the clock ran out. So St. John's in 19 seconds got two god-awful looks at three. I don't know what that last sequence was, but they really didn't stand a chance. So you can argue that Patino should have called a timeout. He went with the with the ball and just said, go make a play. And that's what you get. Once again, St. John's has the ball with a chance to tie late in the game and they fall short. It's happened way too much this year. And for a team that's in the middle of February, I tweeted this out. There's no alpha male on this team. Who's the go-to guy late in the game? More often than not, it's Danis Jenkins, right? But there are so many guys who can score on this team. Who do you want with the ball in their hands late with a chance in a one-possession game? I ask you that, St. John's fans. Who do you want? Who are you going to? Are you going to Luis? Are you going to Jenkins? Are you going to Dingle? Are you going inside to Soriano? It's somebody different all the time. And when you don't have a clear-cut go-to guy late in the game, Shamori Pons, Julian Champagny, when you don't have that go-to guy, it's, it's really hard to know what's going to happen because you're not used to being in that situation. And that's what's hurting this team. We thought this team was getting chemistry. They're not. They're regressing. We thought Joel Soriano was on his way to another first-team All-Big East. Well, heck, at this point, he's not going to make any Big East team. He can't even crack his own starting lineup. Wasn't it six weeks ago that Rick Pitino was praising Soriano, praising his leadership, praising his play? Yeah. That's because everything was going well. He was averaging a double-double again. He was producing. And yet, in his last eight games, 
of which St. John's has lost six. His numbers have gone way down. His minutes has gone, have gone down. He's gone from scoring 16 points to 11. He's gone from grabbing 10 rebounds to eight. What is going on with Joel Soriano? Is it mental? Is it physical? And now his own head coach, who was praising him publicly, putting him up on his pedestal, has torn him down publicly. Ouch. I'm going to quote Patino, and he's referring to Soriano after the loss to Providence. He tried tonight. Every single guy in this team gives me 100% effort every single day, which I'm very appreciative of, Patino said. He does not. He's referring to Joel Soriano. He does not give me 100% every single day. Patino then went on to say, I'm not trying to teach him a lesson. I'm just trying to reward the people that just go all out. Ouch. If he gets back to giving extraordinary effort, that's all I want from him. I want to see him have a great end of the season. Man, these St. John's players are learning what it's like to play for Coach Patino. The first guy to praise you and put you up on a pedestal. The first guy to give you a pat in the back and say, out of boy. And he's the next guy to tell you, you suck. Go sit on the bench. You don't deserve to start. Starting time is earned. Wow. Harsh reality. Joel Soriano, let's see if this tough, tough love motivates him and he comes out like an animal possessed and comes up with a 20 and 12 performance against Seton Hall. Because we all know the last time against Seton Hall was one of Joel Soriano's worst games of the season. All right. That game at the Prudential Center was one to forget. He tied a season low with six points before then he surpassed that with two points at Marquette, but certainly one of the low points for Joel Soriano. Does he come back? Does he get motivated? Does he use this as motivation, no matter what, if he starts or not, to go to town against Seton Hall? We shall see. But now, St. John's is in must-win territory. St. John's is 14-11, and 6-8 and eight in conference play, losers of 7 of 9. They need to go 5-1 and one the rest of the way, minimum. Rick Pitino said, we're going to try to win them all. Well, let's just play the cards here. They have Georgetown at Georgetown. They have DePaul at DePaul, and they have Georgetown at home. Let's just say those are three wins right there, okay? <laughs> they better win those games. They're going to be tricky, the one at Georgetown, trust me. So that leaves you home to Seton Hall at UBS Arena, home to Creighton, and at Butler. They're going to be underdogs to Butler. They're going to be underdogs to Creighton. Let's say they beat Seton Hall. That's four wins. Now 
you have to win either home to Creighton or at Butler. That's what you're looking at. Assuming you beat Seton Hall this Sunday, which let's face it. If Rick Pitino had his druthers, he would play that game at Carneseca Arena and not UBS Arena. But he chose to market St. John's. He chose to go out on Long Island and try to get the crowd out there. They played Hofstra there. They played DePaul there. And now, if he had his way, he would certainly love to play that game at Carneseca Arena. Lose that game to Seton Hall, and their season is done. St. John's got smacked by Seton Hall the first time around in Newark. They lost by 15 without their head coach, without Jordan Dingle. They'll have them both. We'll see if that makes a difference on Sunday at 5 o'clock. Now, let's talk about Rutgers. How they have turned their season around, huh? Look, it's a season of ups and downs. If you had told me that Seton Hall, after that Rutgers game, would be in contention for an NCAA tournament bid, I would have said you're crazy. This team would have been lucky to make the NIT. Well, Seton Hall turned its season around. Look where they are now. Suddenly, Rutgers left for dead after that awful loss to Penn State has won three straight games. Why? Jeremiah Williams. My, oh my, oh my. Jeremiah Williams is on fire since he has come into this starting lineup, since he has earned his eligibility after sitting out the entire season. We see how valuable Jeremiah Williams is. And now the Big Ten sees how valuable Jeremiah Williams is because he was just named Big Ten Player of the Week. He averaged 16 points, five rebounds, and four assists as Rutgers won at Maryland and smacked the crap out of 11th-ranked Wisconsin at home. Let's start with that game. Wisconsin blown out by Rutgers by 22 points. They were never in the game. Rutgers came out early. They established control of that game and ended up being the largest margin of victory ever over a ranked opponent for Rutgers in program history. I repeat, Rutgers won by 22 points. It was their largest margin of victory ever over a ranked opponent in their history. That's saying something. All right? That is saying something. They did it because Jeremiah Williams showed his ability. This guy makes everyone better. I said it last week. We're seeing what he can do. He's six foot five. He has a great handle. He plays above the rim. He plays downhill. This offense has been infused. We know they're bringing it defensively. In their last three games, Rutgers is holding teams to 56 points or less. All right, I'm sorry. They're holding them to an average of 56 points. They're blocking shots. They're holding them to 32% field goal percentage. All right, Rutgers is wringing their team's necks defensively. 
We knew they could do that. We knew they could play defense. What we didn't know was if they played some offense, what this team would look at like. What they did against Wisconsin was their best all-around game since what they did to Seton Hall in December. And it's no coincidence that Cliff Amore had one of his best all-around games since that Seton Hall game. Near identical statistics. He almost had a triple-double. 13 points, 13 rebounds, and 8 blocks. 8 blocks. He is a monster defensively. And when Cliff is playing like that, Rutgers is very tough to beat. Jeremiah Williams is the facilitator that Rutgers has missed all season long. It allows, it allows Steve Peichel, if he wants to go with a three-guard lineup, takes the ball out of Derek Simpson's hands, lets him create that way, allows Williams to be at his best, setting others up, picking his spots, going downhill. Noah Fernandes comes off the bench and has his best game of the season since when? Rutgers goes a perfect five for five from beyond the arc, finishes with 17 points. There's your three scorers, right? Teams are always looking for three scorers each game. Doesn't matter where they get it from. Right. You're looking for three plus four, whatever it is, but you really need three to be in the game. They got it from Williams, Amori and Fernandes on this game. So now Rutgers has won three games in a row. So now Rutgers fans are getting a little giddy. They're 13 and 10. They're five and seven. They're rising up from the basement. They've created separation from Michigan and Ohio State. And suddenly there's talk of, whoa, wait a minute. What can we do to get into the NCAA tournament? Guys, relax. Relax. There's still so many games left. There's eight games left. You got to really climb out of this hole. I mean, two weeks ago, you lose to Penn State and people are saying, we need a new offensive coordinator. What happened to Peichel? Peichel should go get an offensive coordinator. And now after three wins, we're saying, huh, here we come, NCAA tournament. I mean, guys, the lows aren't always as low and the highs aren't always as high. And after that loss to Penn State, yes, I was thinking the season's over, okay? But I wasn't ready to say, Steve Peichel needs an offensive coordinator. I did say that great offensive players make defensive coaches look really good. Right? We said there was no Geo Baker. There was no Ron Harper Jr. Well, now suddenly they have a potential in that in Jeremiah Williams. So there's your guy that you want with the ball in your hands. Making the right plays at the right time. It's funny how 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 good offensive players who make everyone else around them better can suddenly turn you into a pretty good offensive coach. It's funny how when your one of your best shooters, Noah Fernandes, suddenly goes five for five from three, and you as a team hit 10 three pointers. Look, there's still a long way to go. 
eight games. The next game is against Northwestern. Eight games to go. What does Rutgers need to do? Let's look at it that way. Well, how about this? Win the next two. I said that last week. Get to 500 in the Big Ten. Northwestern and at Minnesota, because then you're playing Purdue in West Lafayette. And for all intents and purposes, that's likely a loss. So if you're seven and seven, then become seven and eight, now you have five games left. Let's see where the dust settles after the Purdue game. Because then you have a winnable game against Maryland at home, a winnable game against Michigan at home, a very challenging game at Nebraska, a more challenging game at Wisconsin, right? So you see what I'm getting at here. Forget the NCAA tournament talk. Boo Booie, who torched you last year, is coming in to Jersey Mike's Arena. Northwestern is in third place in the Big Ten. I know they're dinged up a little bit. But this is a team that is eight and five. They're the only team in the Big Ten, oh, by the way, that has beaten both Purdue and Illinois. So before you think that this is an automatic W, think again. Another challenging game. Win it at Jersey Mike's Arena. Yes, Rutgers is at home. Yes, they have some mojo. Yes, they've, they're, they're certainly looking a lot better. They have confidence. And you have all that together. Rutgers is favored. Rutgers has an opportunity ahead. Win that game. You will then have had a four-game winning streak. Back to six and seven. And right back in the thick of things. It's not going to be easy. Let's see what happens against Northwestern and Minnesota and then see where the dust settles going into Purdue. All right, Northwestern has had the best of Rutgers overall. The two teams split last year. Rutgers went to Northwestern and got a big win thanks to a big three by Cam Spencer. And then Boo Booey, lit up the rack in the second game. So Northwestern won at Rutgers last year. That's what I'm saying. All right, let's enjoy what's happening here. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Jeremiah Williams has made a huge difference to this team. The confidence level is as high as it's been all season. Go out and beat Northwestern. That's what Rutgers is staring at. All right. Rutgers facing a must-win against Northwestern. St. John's facing a must-win against Seton Hall. Seton Hall, oh, by the way, may be in a situation where they're facing a must-win. All right, certainly a resume-boosting uh, opportunity for them as they look to get back and get off the bubble in the NCAA tournament picture. All right, that'll do it for Around the Tri-State. That'll do it for this edition of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Of course, our thanks to our sponsor, North Jersey Vipers Softball Club. Check them out at NorthJerseyVipers.com. My name is Brian DiNovellis. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Enjoy the games, everyone. So long. So long.